1: Hello, monkeys. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Snark Monkey number 37 with The Smokes, or some of them, at least. Three of them, kind of. The Smokes is uh, possibly my favorite improv team based out of the Upright Citizens Brigade in Los Angeles, California, in Hollywood. They have been doing improv for a while. They have been teaching improv as well. They have been through the UCB, and watched it turn into this brand name in entertainment. Now a pipeline into the industry for performers, writers, uh, actors. So many comedic presences that you see in film and television right now come through the Upright Citizens Brigade. Uh, It's kind of amazing. Three theaters that uh, they built in New York, Two that they built here in uh, Los Angeles now, this kind of headquarters and campus that they built on Sunset Boulevard, where many of the classes are held. But uh, for your money, the best entertainment you can get, a uh, $5 ticket many nights a week, and you will see some familiar faces go-, go through there. It's it's an amazing place, and it's an amazing time for improv. We kind of drill down into the nitty-gritty of what it takes to be an improviser, how these guys got their start. I'm talking about Billy Merritt, Joe Wingert, and Jim Woods, who have all at one time or another been a part of the Smokes, as well as other teams and shows at the UCB, and also have all been instructors, have seen a number of names come through. And we also talk about the uh, long form known as the Herald, which they focus on there at UCB. And get a little bit of their backgrounds and just kind of talk the talk. It's uh, really good stuff. So if you are a fan of improv, this is a little inside baseball on what that world is like. But I think you'll find it uh, quite fascinating, which is my favorite word to say, because I'm not very smart and I don't have big vocabulary to use. Um, and it's kind of funny. We get a little funny. But uh, this is real talk about improv from some excellent gentlemen who know it well Members of the Smokes from UCB. Here I am with Billy, Joe, and Jim on Snark Monkey number, what did I say, 37? Is that right? Am I right there? Somebody check that. Somebody fact check. Can my staff fact check? I don't have a staff. (laughs) Enjoy. Enjoy. going to launch into it thank you guys for doing this by the way yeah, i've been man. i've been wanting to do this i've been wanting to talk uh, and, I, and i and i specifically wanted to talk to you guys who have known each other for a long time because how long has the smokes have the smokes let's see uh, immediately a grammar issue here how long have you guys been part of
2: the smokes together how long have the smokes been smoking sure oh boy really i don't know That's six sorry. and a half years i think six and a half i'll go with that yeah 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 Are and this goes back to new york no, we st- we knew a lot of us knew each other in New York, but this is definitely an LA team. Okay, starting here in LA.
1: So let's go through. First of all, where Billy? It's Billy Merritt. Billy Merritt to Merrick. my left. Yeah. Uh, where did you grow up? Where were you from? Uh,
2: I grew up in Florida, actually, uh, Miami, then Gainesville. Uh, got into theater in West Palm Beach, the hub of great comedy and improv in Florida. Really? A lot of people don't know that. What, Burt, what Reynolds, Burt Reynolds Theater.
1: That's right. He actually did, a, uh, for a long time, he yeah. did shows there.
2: I actually took a master acting class with Charles Nelson Riley. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No? I swear to God, I did. What did Why you? would that be a lie? <laughs> Why would that possibly I be a lie? I guess of
1: all the things you could make up... <laughs> You wouldn't go quite that outrageous, would yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. What? Tell me the greatest acting tip you learned from Charles Nelson Riley
2: Oh, be sincere. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He was a really good. You know, he's a great guy. He was yeah. a great teacher, yeah. but you know, uh, it was just one workshop of a class. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, I moved up to New York. Uh, played around. This is before UCB moved to New York, so I was twiddling around with different theaters. And then they came, and I started taking classes with them.
1: So you had more of a serious acting bent early on. I mean, and you, yeah, and one of your workshops, one of your advanced study workshops at UCB, incorporates uh, different authors of play, different styles of plays, very yeah, specific yeah. kind of.
2: Uh, I guess my first, yeah, my first teachers were not comedy teachers at all. So down south, I had a great teacher that taught rural American theater. So we did shows like Tobacco Road, Grapes of Wrath. Uh, uh, anything with overalls and a southern accent, we
1: would do. You're saved on the wardrobe that yeah, way, yeah, obviously. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then when I moved up to New York, I took classes at Neighborhood Playhouse and an Atlantic Theater Company, and that was much more. Uh, oh, sorry. That's all right. Uh, uh, much more uh, M- mammoth style, Mameesian, very quick, fast, right? Uh, Meisner like.
1: Yeah, Atlantic actually, I think is one of the studios at NYU, if I'm not mistaken. Right, son. Yes, he says yes. Yep, yep. That's it. Uh, Joe, what about you?
3: Where'd you? Uh, where do you hail from? I'm from outside of Philadelphia uh, originally, and then I went to. I started doing improv in college. I went to the University of Delaware in Newark, Delaware. Um, what were you majoring in? I was an education major. You were going to be a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that you didn't have to major in that to be a teacher <laughs> at the time.
1: That you could have picked a field of study. I and, could have just done yeah. anything for yeah. a
3: couple of years and then moved to New York, and they were so desperate for teachers <laughs> that I could have still done it. Um, <laughs> but I, they had a, I like kind of took it pretty seriously and picked Delaware because their public schools were so bad that you, they welcomed college students into the, um, uh, uh, schools very early on. Like a lot of colleges, you don't get any practical experience until your last year. And in Delaware, they were like, Hey, you can give us your freshmen. We don't care. We need the help. We need people that are enthusiastic and awake and alert. Um, so I started doing short form improv there and I discovered UCB from their TV show. And then a friend of mine said, Hey, they have a theater in New York and we would actually use university funds to, um. Uh. Go up to the UCB to see Billy's group, the Swarm, perform on right, Friday nights. Right. Take ourselves out to an uh, extravagant <laughs> dinner on the <laughs> University <laughs> of Delaware's dime. Nice. And uh, it was great. <laughs> Are they just now hearing about this? By the way, or no? It no? was like a weird thing where it was like if you were in a performance group at Delaware, you received a certain stipend, like a budget to spend. And I was the treasurer my my sophomore year. And I remember going to them and being like, we don't need money because it's improv. It's just like eight dorks and we're going to get up with no props and <laughs> improvise. And they were like, you still get this money. And they made us charge for our shows. The cheapest we could make our shows were at 99 cents. So our shows were 99 cents. And then we would make a bunch of money on our shows because we kind of got popular by the end. So we had all this money, and the money would go back to zero at the end of the calendar year. So we devised this plan where they said they would agree to us going to New York to see UCB because it was related to the mission statement of our group. Oh, wow. We did a workshop with Michael Delaney Mm -hmm. um, at one point, um, which was... Uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but I have a bad habit that you probably all know is where I sort of will rock back and forth from one foot to the other when I'm nervous. And I used to do it a lot more when I was a younger man. And I did it in a Delaney workshop. And he was like, you got to stop doing that or everybody in your group has to do it with you. <laughs> yeah.
4: And everybody in the group
3: like, as a joke all rocked back and forth for a
4: couple minutes. <laughs>
1: Now, at one point, you got into stand-up though too. You kind of took that
3: path. Did that happen somewhere along the way, or were you already doing that? That happened when I moved here. To I did LA? one. I did one open mic in the bottom of uh, in the basement of like a taco restaurant in New York, and was terrified of it and didn't try that again. <laughs> and I got so swept up with improv and sketch when I was in New York that that's all I really did. Yeah. And then when I moved here. Uh, I had a lot of long days yeah. in LA Free time. that I needed to fill. Yeah. So, and there's like weird, there's like an open mic at every hour of the day in LA. And um, I found this like resource online that listed all of them. And I would just like drive around and do a couple a day sometimes.
1: Were any of them as posh as the basement of a taco place? Um Oh, yes, yes, very much so. Exactly. that's <laughs> posh. Oh. Jim, what about you? What's your this is uh is it Wood or Woods? Woods. Okay, so it's an S. Yeah. All right. Um just want to make sure I get that right on the marquee. Yeah. Uh where are you from?
5: I'm from uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. And um <clears throat> yeah, I started uh started in the short form doing like comedy sports in high school. And then um I moved to Chicago to uh to learn long form i.o and then from there i was hired to uh, boom chicago in amsterdam so i was uh doing sketch it's basically kind of like second city meets comedy sports and uh, sketch and improv show and uh, so i did that for like two and a half years then i moved uh to la in 1905 in And that's when I started uh, doing stuff with UCB.
1: Now, what got you in North Carolina kind of caught up in an improv scene? How, how how aware of it were you?
5: I, I wasn't at all. I mean, I had seen whose line, you know, and, um, but I was 15 and it was one of my friends 17th birthday. So they were taking us to this place called comedy sports and, uh, went to it and, uh, and we uh, we uh, we all were like, oh, when they asked for a suggestion, let's all yell Jello together. It's so embarrassing now. <laughs> and um, and uh, so, but I I was blown away. I just was like, oh my god. And I was like, we got to go again next weekend. So we did. And I was like, I saw just this, uh, like, I almost swore. I'm like, I- you can say anything you want. Okay. Yeah. Um, I encourage it. <laughs> But uh, we just saw the sign like it was like, you know, some shitty homemade sign that said free workshops tomorrow. And I was like, let's fucking do it. So we did. And two months later, I was one of the act leets. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> really? Yeah. And then also too, like when they, when they would announce you, you know, um, you so the and you're basically wearing pajamas. It's like sweatpants that say comedy sports <laughs> on the leg, and then like those kind of three quarter baseball you know sleeve t shirts to say comedy sports with your name and jersey number of your choosing on the back. <laughs> but like they encourage joke numbers like pie oh, or wow. Mine was just fifty six for Lawrence Taylor. But um, <laughs> but uh, but then um, so yeah, and uh, and then from there. I did that for, Jesus, I guess fucking like eight years because I moved to Chicago when I was 23 to to, to learn about long form. I mean,
1: comedy sports and whose line? It's funny because that you mentioned those two because I think those tend to be, there is that dividing line in the improv world. I mean, Besser will go on a rant if you let him about the difference between, say, what people see on TV, with, with which is essentially improv games, yeah. versus... What you guys do and what what he's always been a proponent of, and what UCB was founded on, which comes out of the Chicago scene, which which comes from that you know letting things play out in a much different way. Um, were you did you take to that was good, that good training? Were you finding that wasn't satisfying the kind of comedy sports
5: angle on things? Oh, I, I knew no different. Yeah, you know, like it was just the only thing I knew, and um and we would like we would occasionally. You know, it got to a point where we would do, like, a 20-minute scene, like, quote-unquote scene, but it was really just narrative. You know, it'd be like, we're going to do, like, a 20-minute Shakespeare thing, which I would fucking rather stick my dick in a blender than do again. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but then we would, you know... Keep that dis- in mind, guys. But next in blender. On Monday, yeah. But we'd just, like, get a suggestion, and then we would just do it, and we were really doing that out of our, you know, like, the guys who all kind of click together wanted more so we were just trying to what seems fun like so we would just kind of you know try to like just do different stuff you know so
1: you're just going on instinct at that point kind of
5: oh yeah plus also no one knew what the fuck they were doing (laughs) like no one like I I don't feel like I learned everything I learned there was trial by fire right Like like it was like everyone was like the karate kid in the beginning where he's trying to learn karate out of a book like they were like that it was like some comedy sports manual and that's what everything was based on and so that's the
2: way we started in West Pond Michael Delaney and I uh, and another guy David Bloomingfeld, who was also on the swarm uh, we all started that same way but we didn't even have a book uh, <laughs> we literally we had a sketch short-form show like that and we I think our first few shows we actually stole Second City sketches uh, <laughs> I had no idea we were stealing them and then when I heard I went Well, they're good. (laughs) (laughs) They're working. They're working. That's a way to get started. Yeah, but I think the great thing about starting out in short form, I always ask a lot of people that there's that feeling of uh, you want a little bit more from your scene work. Uh, To me, the big notice was going from short form to long form was in short form I did a lot of the same scenes and a lot of the same jokes over and over. In long form, it was the first time I'd do a scene and then never do it again and then be okay with that. And then it's like, more improvising without a net. Right. I think that's what it becomes addictive about long form. Um,
1: it, it's funny you talk about the the manual concept which really has come into play more recently when the UCB guys put out the official UCB manual. And again, going back to Besser because I hear him talk about this all the time. There is a very particular you guys have all been instructors, am I right? Yeah. You've all taught the classes, which has become a very popular, I mean it's probably one of the ways for the longest time that ucb was actually making any sort of profit is based upon the classes um because w- when shows are still five bucks a pop I, yeah. don't, I don't know how they're making money on that so you guys have all been in that mode as well you've been trained yeah. on it and there's a very specific way that it's taught there is a curic- uh, curriculum what's that oh, word Curriculum. yeah oh thank you jim um are, are you?
2: There is also a Keurig coffee machine. Keurig. There's a Keurig <laughs> in the place. Yeah.
1: Did you buy into that? I mean, are you, are you good following that sort of... Yeah. Uh, obviously, you bought into the, the method and what they were trying to establish. I mean, Billy, you've been part of it mm-hmm. through New York yeah. from the very beginning. Yeah. And you've been... In fact, I, you get name-dropped all the time in places like Ben Schwartz has, has quoted you. Fuck on, that guy. No, what?
2: No. Yeah, he did it wrong the entire time. Really? No. (laughs) I I was just saying in class, it's like uh, Hot Sauce, uh, his group, wonderful group. But as they were first going up, I was still old man. I'm always old man improv, and I'm going, you guys are doing it wrong. You're doing it. Okay, it's funny, but you're doing it wrong. (laughs) And then it's like, all right, never mind, just do it.
1: But that's the thing is that because I love watching Ben work. I just know one of the reasons I've gravitated to you guys when I first started watching UCB shows is that I I feel like when I do improv, I'm more inclined to be where you guys are, which tends to be very kind of grounded. Um, You let things take their time. I've watched Joe do scenes where he doesn't say a word for like a good 10 minutes. Yeah. And and (laughs) sounds horrible. No. I know you mean it, but he's swaying back and forth when he's there. (laughs) I just watch it. I'm mesmerized by him rocking
5: back and forth on his feet. And in the car right over here he was telling me he was doing that earlier today.
3: Yeah, I did improv for humans today with John Gabris and Will McLaughlin. Yeah, and there was one scene where like they had all the specifics, and I just was kind of not saying anything. And then Will McLaughlin was like, "Why aren't you saying anything, honey?" It's like (laughs) you don't need anything right now.
1: (laughs) But I only bring that up because it when when you uh, it's the it's the idea of letting things play out, letting things develop. And I and I only mention that because Joe does have the ability to let time go by, other discussions happen, other things happen, and then he comes in with one line that kind of blows the place away. I mean, that's—and that's—everybody kind of has their thing. But you guys have always been a little bit more of letting the pace play out, letting things kind of happen, letting even tension build in some cases. I'm trying to—was it you, Jim, um, that—do you remember this at all? There was a video game bit that I think you and Kula did where— Everybody just backed off. Kula was dead on a chair, and a video game had killed him. And nobody else was coming in the scene. They were just letting you dangle, Jim. I think that was
5: you. It and you. It le- sounds like a role that happens to me. A yes.
1: Lot. <laughs> and it was clear that everybody along the back line was just like, "Let's just see what Jim does," because Kula had allowed, and it was one of the. It's one of the things you're not supposed to do is let yourself show die and die <laughs> in, a, in a scene, and. You just kind of looked around, and you leaned over to kiss him, which oh, yeah, was the blackout. Yeah. yeah, I did do that. I remember that. I mean, but, but then again, that's just letting space, letting air happen, and and that's something I think you guys do. Now, I only bring that up because Ben Schwartz and Adam and, and Gil Ozeri and the Hot Sauce guys, yeah. th- they do – they, Ben's mind moves at a pace that I can't even comprehend. I mean, he just goes yeah. as fast as he can. Well, the three
2: of them together are yeah. symbiotic with that speed. So every group has their own rhythm or dynamic Uh we're, I guess we plod a little bit more. No, that's Maybe not what I'm saying. Bit, no, that's not what I'm saying. You're calling us the tortoises no. of improv. <laughs> that's I not it at all.
1: I was really,
3: speak. can I tell you something? I was really tempted to not say anything for the rest of the podcast <laughs> until, and wait to the last minute and then say just one thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then listeners would go, Larry is right. That is what that guy yeah. does. Yeah. yeah.
5: In the, uh, in that sense though of like us being grounded way, way back in the day, um, we, uh, katie dippold couldn't make it to one of the shows so she sent out an email just asking how the show was and kula responded well uh and the show was good but his his, uh his summary of it was well joe and i played uh phil collins and peter gabriel and we were the straight men of our (laughs) city (laughs)
1: Uh, I but I get I kind of guess what I'm getting to is that UCB has begin has become a bit of a brand and you guys have been a part of it at, at various stages and like I say mm-hmm. Billy you go back to New York days when it was were you at the strip club location yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so you've seen it develop and you've seen so many people come through and you've oh, been sure, a part of it for sure. such a long process but it Yet has... I
2: have managed to stay here
1: <laughs> at this level is yes, what you're saying yes, yes. <laughs> no you I mean you've You've reached a level of success. You've got yeah, some writing yeah, gigs, yeah. and you've had some voice. You said you were in, doing voiceover the other day for like oh, no, no. 15 I, hours.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, nobody should do that. Yeah, uh, uh, I feel – I mean, I come from a, a teaching family. Like, my mom is turning 80 next year, and she's still teaching online. And it's, uh, uh, it's she doesn't need to teach anymore. She's got her <laughs> money. She just move on. But I feel like there's something inherent of you got to give it back. Yeah. You know. uh, Oh, and I I need the money, too. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Sure. uh, uh, I think teaching is very important, number one, by paying it forward. But also, it keeps you in check uh, uh, as far as your improv or whatever you do on stage. Uh, If you teach it, you kind of have to do it on stage. Or at least you're aware that you're going to have students ask, why did you not do what you told us to do? Right. kind of thing. Right. I kind of use that as a, a measure to keep me grounded in my improv
3: well
1: Joe you started out thinking you were gonna be a teacher and so it must have been a natural progression once you started doing it that you wanted to did it feel comfortable for you to turn around and actually bring students along as well
3: it was uh, great it was thrilling in a weir- in a weird way because I was teaching in New York I was teaching middle school I was a special ed teacher so i was met with a lot of resistance when i was and cuz i was a, a school teacher for 5 years 6th yeah. 7th and 8th graders oh, and God, the you same, just picked the sweet spot of the of the toughest possible yeah six, every day i was in in electing York. to go back to middle school except <laughs> now i was one of the teachers and it was like an insane choice um, and those people don't want to do anything you're trying to get them to do they're not interested in learning or whatever you're trying to give back to them and at the same time I was doing UCB, and when I got to start teaching UCB classes, it was such a uh, breath of fresh air because I would teach middle school all day and then go teach my UCB class at night, and it would be 16 people that were, like, so psyched to be there and do it. <laughs> it was like, at least somebody today wants me to teach them something. <laughs> well,
1: I, I, you know, it's I've watched it grow even just in the last couple of years. I, You know, I went to film school at USC right after – like Lucas and Spielberg and those guys had become superstars. People knew the names of directors after Star Wars and Close Encounters and all that stuff. And it was like the new version of rock and roll. It was going to film school. UCB has turned into this brand that people who are looking at getting into TV, whether it's writing or acting or any of that, think they have to go through that. I've had casting directors say, if you are taking improv classes, specifically UCB, and it's on your resume, that gives you a check mark in the in the positive category. Has that, Jim, has that watered things down a little bit? Are there too many people trying to come through and expect some sort of fast track w- when they come through these classes?
5: Well, what's weird for me, honestly, is that when <clears throat> in the uh, end of 2010... I was going back to Amsterdam for three months and those three months turned into four and a half years. <laughs> so I just got back. So I just recently saw the new sunset space, right? And saw all of the classrooms and just all that stuff. And uh, I mean, it, it, it was mind blowing. I was like, what? Whoa. Like, I mean, so I, since I've been back, I've, uh, I haven't taught any classes. Um, just because I'm not really in the system currently. And then I, I go to London uh, on Saturday for, oh, wow. for a few months. Um, so it's not really worth me <laughs> putting myself back into the system. So I don't really know what the, the transition is like. I, like I do, I teach, Susie Barrett and I like started this like improv boot camp that's to be kind of a supplement to classes. Like, so that it would be like, you, you have to have at least taken 301 to even take these And so I've been teaching a lot of those just during the in in the afternoon. And it's just weird to see so many faces that I have no idea who anybody is anymore. Right. Um, Even like I go in to see, you know, Harold shows. I don't I take that back. I don't see them, (laughs) but they're after our show. (laughs) You see see people come in. Exactly. And I'll see them on stage, you know, and I'll watch for like maybe five minutes or something. And it's just like, wow, I have no fucking idea who yeah. any of these people are. Like the turnover is is nuts. Yeah. The other thing that's really cool is it's not you know a hundred percent white guys anymore. <laughs> like I think that's yeah. like it's great. Like uh,
2: when I first started teaching, it was basically just a and D group decided to do improv. <laughs> <laughs> it was just all white stinky guys doing uh, a lot of work with dragons and stuff. Yeah. But it's, which uh, explains. Yeah, well, Us, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> um, but we'll talk about that, Billy, because you have seen it through, and and Joe too. You guys have seen it grow exponentially. I mean, are you?
2: I think Joe did, had a lot to do with that because he really was the one that put the. You're the one that put the curriculum together, right? Take credit for it.
3: Um, yeah,
2: yeah, sort you were, the, of, you were the chancellor of schools. I was that.
3: I was in. I was the academic supervisor uh, when I stopped teaching full time, and there was a version of the curriculum um, that was put together. Um, uh, sort of. Kevin Mullaney started it, and then Chris Gethard took it over, and then I was the next person to do it. And then I think we saw like a big spike in classes around there, and I think I did a lot of like codifying of things, of like, well. We should try and, like, sync up the classes because when I was going through classes, it made a big difference as to who you were taking exactly, a class with. Yeah. like. And so you would meet up in the later classes and go, oh, well, I learned this from this teacher. Oh, I didn't learn that. I learned this from this teacher. Right, because so, everybody's going to have their own
1: take if there isn't that kind of standardized Track because they've all come
3: from different backgrounds and learned different things, and and also have an affinity for certain forms. Yeah. It was I like think, well, yeah. uh, some and actually an opportunity to learn use some of the stuff that I learned in college because we try I tried to like go like well maybe it should be more of a spiraling curriculum so that like the stuff that you're learning in 101 does kind of get revisited in 201 with new stuff added and so on and so forth and getting everybody doing the same thing so that. At the end of the system now, until you get to advanced study, you are producing people with their own comedic voice built on the same sort of source information. Right. Uh, but that was really a product of collaboration because. Uh, n- things that were added to the curriculum we drew upon all of the teachers especially people that had been around for a long time and it was really a collaborative effort that curriculum but you felt like it ended up being kind of a unified vision that everybody was on board with it i i hope so i mean i definitely don't think it was like this is what joe Wengert thinks it should be that's what we all say (laughs) so let's go do the Wengert. yeah
2: i think you can really put your finger on when ucb kind of exploded i'm not going to say that's the reason but because because we became unified in teaching, everybody's teaching the same thing from 101 up to 401, then all of a sudden it became a lot easier for people to recommend classes than everybody getting the same experience.
1: Well, there was also something that was going on in the industry, too. There was, just from a pop culture standpoint, you started to see all these new faces on television and everybody happened to notice where they were connecting the dots oh aziz was doing that and oh audrey plaza was there in new york and and more and more and more they started what aubrey plaza
3: uh, did i say audrey yeah but well
1: there's... what <laughs> yeah. what
3: no i yeah it was mostly that well yeah. <laughs> no joe come on what what do you guys you guys looked at each other what it's nothing <laughs> I dated her, so oh, okay. I think that was I think it was a combination. Yeah. Yeah. Was it that or was it yeah. the mispronunciation of the name? No, no, you dated. And now her. I just no, mispronounced I pronunciate mispronunciation. Pronunciate. <laughs> I'm rocking back and forth because I'm nervous now. <laughs> you're
2: listening. Well, we're
3: not gonna ask you stories about
1: dating. I dated, <laughs> no, 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 I dated no, no. Aziz Azari. Did you? Anything. Yeah. No, no. did you? Did you mispronounce? I did last recommend one? he get out of
2: improv. You did. <laughs> he was <in> a 301, <laughs> and in the middle of a scene, he just goes, "Billy, I don't." Think improv's for me and i'm going you're probably right <laughs> and then he skyrocketed after yeah that he, but so, he was a good
3: example of like not necessarily i think you learn a lot of good things from the classes oh, yeah. that you can apply to sketch and to other stuff and he was a guy that the artistic director at that point recognized this guy is really good so it's like why don't you host a stand-up show? Why right. don't you put together a one-man show and recognize this guy is a good guy that can still be a part of the UCB theater exactly. even though he might not necessarily like excel at being on Harold night or whatever. Right.
1: Well, it was just it seems like it's a great environment to like lay down any sort of good comedy structure. I mean, all, I took I went through the whole track. I know I'm not going to be a great improviser, but it's helped me In my writing, it's helped me on the radio be with a partner, be a better listener, you know, make sure that I'm focusing on what they're talking about. And Mm you kind of extend that, I've been able to adapt it to a million different things. Well, okay, five different things maybe. (laughs) Um,
2: Has it helped you in your relationship with your son?
1: As a matter of fact, I I believe it has.
5: Oh, that's nice. I know. You know what's crazy, though? <laughs>
1: that was kind of – I didn't have anything funny there because I honestly believe it did. Yeah, I yeah, like I that know,
5: moment of sincerity.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah.
5: Now back to comedy. Yeah. Um, what's crazy, too, is that, like, uh, in that same regard of, like, how everything is one thing, you know, um, the book is so popular that it is, like like, groups in, like, Iowa and stuff – will now do skype rehearsals have you guys heard Mm -hmm. about this they'll have bought the book and then they'll contact from the coach ask for you know the coaching list or something and contact the coaches and say like hey our group we're in iowa or wherever and we have the ucb book and we've been reading it and so can we have skype rehearsals where we coach you and i guess they just kind of venmo or something then the money but, yeah, so, like, wow. people. That's you,
2: two technical terms there. Yeah. Like Venmo and Skype. Yeah.
5: Well, one of them I knew for a long time. I, I just <laughs> learned Venmo, like, a week ago. <laughs>
3: that I mean, I, I was very involved in the writing of the book, and one of the goals of it was the UCB wanted a college student in Iowa to be able to pick up the book and read it like we all separately did in our different places. Right. But actually do understand it and be able to do like a pretty decent show off of that. Yeah, and it just... says there multiple times, like this book is not going to be enough, Yeah, but it's hopefully it'll get you as close as a book can get you without having the feedback from a director. Or from well, the, a coach. the thing
1: I like about it is that it is, it is very specific. I mean, it doesn't leave it, it. It says everything. It feels like if I was taking a class from one of you guys that I was, I was getting, it's getting very specific places to start. And I know even in the classes I've taken, with, I mean, I took one with you, Joe. Uh, people rebel against any sort of strict. This is how to do it, mm-hmm. um, and and I remember always thinking, it's just, just you're just in 201 right now. You know, you this is not the time to rebel and create your own form. There has to be a starting point. Like you were talking about with Ben Schwartz, uh, those guys went off and did their own thing, but he did have to start from a place of of a real kind of solid structure to begin yeah, and with. he did I mean
2: yeah. he was on a herald he did all the work he was told to do
1: right you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I one of the other points I want to make though is anytime anytime something like this becomes part of the here's the word I hate to say but the zeitgeist sorry um why do you hate that word? it's just because it, everybody uses it now is oh, that okay. word yeah is there can we come up with a better one
3: than that mm. no Okay. Not on the spot. No. You expected us to make up a word on the spot? <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know what Three I Three guys thinking. that are not going to make something yeah. up on the spot. <laughs> Actually, all I got are monkey facts.
2: Yeah.
4: Cherry <laughs>
1: yeah. We're going to
3: get to that. We're going to get to the monkey
1: facts okay. portion of the program. Um, but anytime anything gets that popular, it can just water it down. I mean it's like when digital filmmaking became easy and portable and everybody could get on a YouTube channel, YouTube, because they originally you used to emphasize the second syllable of that, sorry but YouTube channel, um, a lot of crap goes up. and are there are there are the students still as excited? Are they as interested in learning the process and going through the whole process? Do you see real talent? Come through, or are, oh, yeah, just too, or are there just too many people? Yeah.
2: There's a lot, but there's always those people that you know want to learn. You know, that are, uh, I call them students of the art form. They're really taken with the art form and they want to learn and they realize it's going to take a while and they are happy that it's going to take a while. Uh, but there's also, because it's so much bigger, there's a lot of, you know, I always ask at the beginning of the class, how many people's agents told you to be here? <laughs> you know, so I can count you all off. Yeah, uh, as someone because that happens a lot. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that because out of those people, some of them discover that this is what they love. Tim Sharp is a great example. Yeah, I had him in a one-on-one, and he like I constantly told him to get off his phone, and he was he was. I'm um, now I'm talking bad about a student. He was horrible, <laughs> uh, uh, but by the end of that class, he got it and loved it, and he didn't need to do. He was already a successful actor. Now he's an improv nerd amongst them all. I mean, you see him. Every night. He's on a Herald team doing shows all the time. So,
3: I I think part something that I said for a long time is like at the beginning of it, it was, I feel like it was easier for me to get an opportunity to be on a house team and to put up sketch shows when I first started doing stuff in like 2002, 2003, because there weren't as many people. Right. And I remember even at that point being like, oh man, when this started, like it felt like it was easier to get on stage. Like it felt like a struggle to me at that point. So, I think it would be a problem if, as the classes continue to grow exponentially if all those people just got to be like i'm a performer at ucb right but now it's like you really have to fight through a bigger mob to sort of get your place and if you find something that stands out and gets you a performance opportunity i think you've had to like jump through so many hurdles and work so much harder than maybe people did five ten years ago do you ever
2: feel like uh if you were taking classes now that would you make a herald team I don't know if I would. Yeah. But I know I would. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a big guy, so they're always looking for a big guy. So. You're
3: just getting cast for type.
2: No, no. I, that's a constant worry. Yeah, it's like, oh, I don't know how I would handle it these days.
3: And I, I talk to people, too, that are like, uh, I, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe it would force me to try something else. Yeah. Then I think that also, there's a lot of positive stuff that comes out of that. Absolutely. Because you learn – Important lessons, I think, for performing and writing and comedy from those classes, and they're tools that you can apply to lots of different places. Well, which we've I, already touched. I on. think if anybody's
1: going through the process just to just to get on a Herald team, then obviously their priorities are messed up because that's uh, that is a very concentrated you know, f- flash of a moment where if you have that one bad audition in that Herald audition, you're probably not going to get on a team. And you have, to, you have to be prepared for every other time that that comes along to be able to do that. But the, the process of being in it, the number of indie shows that have popped up all over town, the opportunity to actually form a team and do improv is is everywhere, and it's yeah. just a matter of getting up and doing it. Speaking of which, because you guys have all taught, and because you've been doing it for such a long time, uh, Jim's been off in freaking Amsterdam doing it for <laughs> four and a half years. How do they respond to it? By the way, are well,
5: you what kind of groups are you doing it for? Well, um, it's 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 a it's a huge theater. It's like a three hundred seat theater that um, that like it's it's like a it's a full on show. It's like a two hour show uh-huh. with intermission. And um, that's a
1: very different form than what uh, we're talking about.
5: Absolutely. So um, and they really try to like make it like very accessible at that show. Like it's it. You know, I was saying to these guys when I got back, I was like, guys, Jesus, I'm sorry that I keep breaking in scenes. It's just that I haven't I haven't been like people haven't been making me laugh this hard in scenes as much for the long, for four and a half years because it you know what we were doing is so short for me and stuff that like you know like like it doesn't get old to me in the moment cuz I don't my brain doesn't work that way it's you know there you know there's you only there's failing is not an option right That's right. the way I look at it yeah you know? so um, that doesn't mean I succeed all the time but um <laughs> sometimes they end up kissing kula but like <laughs> I'm sorry um but uh, so that is a v- very different beast. But while I was there, two friends of mine, I um, uh, <laughs> almost, almost started doing <laughs> old Run DMC song you know, two, uh, years ago. It's a friend of mine. Now you are doing it. You are MC doing Ron- it. Doing <laughs> it. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, <laughs> they started a theater in London. And so now the whole scene in London, I mean, you'd be amazed at how in the Stone Age London improv kind of is. It's still very narrative. Like uh and no one like there was like one dude who was te- has a school that was teaching heralds and stuff, but that's only been that's only like 2 years old or something like that. And um and so like uh so we started teaching game and stuff out there and uh and th- they are just soaking it up like interesting. So it's like there are people who are on teams who are already on TV you know you know in London and they are excited about uh, being on Herald teams <laughs> and um, and then uh, but it's yeah it's nuts and they also they are they're all buying the book like so many of them have the book and I never this would never even occur to me but they have watched so many UCB shows on YouTube because they read the book and then they go to YouTube to watch UCB shows to make see how it's applicable. You know, to go like, ah, you know, like now I'm not just reading it; I'm getting comprehension on it as well. Um, and, Interesting. Those are, yeah, and those, yeah, and this is—it's almost
1: like the the version of improv, the Herald, and and what you guys have developed over time is a almost a distinctly American form. I it's mean, like it, the musical and jazz, exactly like baseball. Yeah, which, yeah.
5: But they do, you know, there is some backlash about it too. Like there, I, sure. I know some people who are like get all like, you know. Why do do these Americans have to come over here and teach us? Seriously. (laughs) Like, and there is, there is, like, a backlash. And the other thing that's tricky about it is kind of, like, the opposite of, like, how the, you know, the cohesion of the curriculum has, like, made it, like, an easy thing to, like, you know what you're going to get no matter what the teacher is. A lot of people are flying out there to teach workshops, but it's all whatever that teacher wants to teach. So it actually is kind of confusing people because... It's, it's a bunch of instead of like actually going out with a curriculum that everyone will teach, they, you know, so that's that's also kind of an interesting thing that I've noticed over there as well.
1: So as as into the educational side of this, as you guys have been and you also continue to perform, um, is it still fun? I mean, do you still it seems like you guys still enjoy doing it to the point where you just have to keep going up?
2: I have a huge problem where I'm laughing more on stage than I ever have. Because I think I'm having a lot of fun. Or <laughs> you think I, you're having I, a lot. I think of fun. that's why. I don't know why. Or maybe I di- I've always done it and just haven't paid attention. So I'm really enjoying the moments on stage more and more. You know, I've
3: only. It's still very fun to me, and I think this is going to illustrate that. But it might also come off <laughs> the wrong way. There was a point when I first started doing it where I never considered not doing it. Like it was really important to me to always have some sort of improv show because it's that fun to do. And only recently have I started thinking like, but eventually will I stop? Because now yeah. I've been doing it for, right. you know, 15, 14, 15 years. It's like, it, and there are some times where it's like, well, I'm driving to do another improv show Right. that I, I've started to wonder about that, but- it is definitely still fun, but, like, it's been fun enough for 15 years that I didn't really even consider, like, when will I stop doing this thing? Right. Like, 15 years into it is when I first thought that. So,
1: Well, I mean, is there an addiction to it in a way? Is it still that idea of getting something on that stage that you don't get anywhere else, and, and this is where I delve into your tragic childhoods well, and how you didn't get hugged? And I mean, get-
5: I, I fucking love it, like, because what I really love doing is... Or, like, what is fun to me is that feeling of, like, your brain having to... How how good of, you know, of, of finding the Ving diagram of acting and being a stand-up in the moment. You know what I mean? Like, what... what to, You know, like, that to me is what is still so fun. You know, like, and... Uh, yeah, and, like... And I... Like, because I never will say anything that makes me laugh, but, like... Um, but their responses to things that I say, like like that, makes me really laugh. Right? You know, like well, that's the remarkable thing about it.
1: I mean, I was thinking about this the other night when I was came to see the Smoke Show. You weren't there, Billy. Um, right. It was an excellent show, by the way, and not because you weren't there, but. Um, but that because it's a because it's a group thing because it's about support and because it's it's supposed to be something different every night. I'm sure that some of the fear of this would be: Am I just going to go back? and maybe do some of the same stuff I've done before. But because you're so reliant upon so many other people that there's no way it can ever go that route, that it is that different every time. It is. I mean, certainly there are things that kind of different... I mean, similar topics get brought
3: up in
5: well, similar directions. Well, the direction. suggestion
3: in the show you came to this week was cattle something. Cattle, 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 guard. A cattle guard. A cattle guard. And a gu- you guys, it was a, yeah. an audience member who was visiting L.A. from Texas, right. and that's something that they have in Texas to, you know, it, sort of like bumpers for their car in case they're driving around cattle. I literally had never heard of that before. Right. So it's like that's gonna inspire scenes that I haven't done before. Right. And there is something really exciting about that. And I don't know. I think it make. I think it's like gotta be good for your brain. Also, just being in the moment and trying to really pay attention and also be funny and you know support each other. Like it's gotta be. It's probably very good for your mental health to right. do that, right? Um, in those conditions, as
1: opposed to because you are a stand-up, as opposed to a prepared, you know, uh, prepared material that you can kind of go into autopilot sometimes. If even if you're, you know, if you're not in the moment, you literally do have to be in the moment every second you're on the stage. That's, you can be very alive in that sense, right? Right, well, I think yeah. you have to do that in
3: stand-up <laughs> yeah. also. I think if yeah. you are on autopilot, it reads to the audience. Yeah. I think a lot of really great stand-ups will have like a rough roadmap, but will be f- you know, figuring stuff out on their feet. Um, but not to the degree, obviously, that a
2: long-form troupe is going to do it. Yeah. I did an experiment a long time ago when I was hosting the improv jam uh, on Friday nights in New York must have been like 13, 14 years ago. I decided every week I would start an improv jam scene with the same exact premise and see where it went. Mm-hmm. In other words, in my mind, this is an old short form joke that I used to do. or It's a sketch that we wrote a long time ago back in West Palm. And the premise always started the same way. It started out as a radio show. And whoever came up with me, I'd never met before, sat him down. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to uh, news today. With me today to talk about black women issues is Terry Blackwoman. Uh, and it would always be the whitest guy I could get on there. And just to see what the response was. Now, keep in mind, it was a midnight jam, and I was pretty drunk or high or both at the same time. So that was my bravado to do it. So it, don't think that I was thinking of an experiment. I'm fucking with people straight up. Uh, but what I discovered afterwards is, like, every single one was a different scene. Premise led to a different game every wow, single really? time. really? Because when every, you
3: were setting that up, I thought you were going to say like every week it would be a scene where I'm a shoe salesman, like yeah. something where it's like it could go, but that's so specific. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a radio show about Black woman issues. Yeah, and the name is the same, and it was different every time. Yeah,
2: each time they would well, they would either accept it or not accept. Well, actually, that's my name. My last name's Terry Black woman, or my favorite would go. Yes, I'm willing to talk about that, <laughs> uh, and then from there, who knows where it's going to go? So.
5: They used, they used to do it sober at Second City.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow, that's an interesting take. Has, has uh, any of you at some point, mm-hmm. while you've been doing improv for a certain amount of time, m- made the decision, okay, I, I find myself doing this thing all the time. I am going to consciously, similar to what Billy's saying, like, Joe, I'm consciously going to jump in early all the time for a little while. Uh, I mean, do you try and
3: challenge yourself like that if you feel like you get in some sort of rut? That's the great value of a coach or a director early on because they'll notice things and sort of prompt you to do that. And, yeah, I think after a while you can start, you know, f- finding those things on your own to challenge yourself. With.
2: I find I have to put things on the shelf for a while, you know, like uh, I can't do samurai characters anymore. Because I do them too much, so then it's like that's like my self-coaching. Uh, don't do the Terry Black woman bit anymore. Yeah. you know, do put it aside.
1: You got a big because I know that you are a food aficionado, Billy. Oh yeah. Uh, there was a period where because I was seeing the Smokes a lot, where there were where there were cuisine references quite often in there because it was I'll never obvious, stop that. obviously top of mind. For <laughs> yeah, you. it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, how did that come about, by the way? what that your your love of fine cuisine I
2: lucked out I uh, hosted a a television show called Uncorked uh, which is about a guy who knows nothing about wine learns about wine and I literally came out of I was working on a show for MTV called Boiling Points which is a (laughs) mean spirited prank (laughs) show involving me farting or being naked in front of people And somehow somebody saw that and went, he would be good in a wine show. (laughs) Uh, uh, I guess because I'm like, uh, you know, the opening credits is me drinking a long can, a a tall, they're called talls, right? Tall boys. Tall boys. I think think they're long cans. They're (laughs) long cans. (laughs) Long cans of Pabst Blue Ribbon or something like that. Uh, They uh, call it that in Texas, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We have to uh, put the cattle guard on. And actually what got me, and they had me do shoot a presentation and then a sizzle after that, but av- what got it was my improv ability to make other people interesting and uh, the interview process. It's always about making the other person interested in what they're saying, that empathetic connection that I got through improv. So uh, there was a moment where I was in uh, in a champagne cave in the middle of Champagne, France, going... Six months ago, I was doing a fart joke. (laughs) I mean, a lot of fart jokes. (laughs) And this guy doesn't know it. And he's a count or something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So tell me, uh, here is the portion of the podcast where we plug things. Um, What is it that has opened up for you in the industry in terms of something you're working on now that you want to tell me about? Uh, I mean, this obviously... All three of you have aspirations to do creative work in other areas. So what's going on? How has it helped? Has it helped?
3: Oh, yeah. It's (laughs) doing stuff at UCB. Yeah. 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 I Uh, mean, it's
1: become it's literally it feels like it's become a factory of writers, producers, actors, creators for the last, what, 10 years at least. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, more than a, a, a pretty much every acting or writing job I've ever had, you can like trace to some sort of like connection that I made through UCB or performing or developing material there. So, um, and if there isn't that direct connection, I do think if you're associated with UCB, it, that puts you into it, gives you a certain pedigree of like, oh, well, this guy gets to do this thing. That applies to what we're doing at this job at a high level. So it is kind of like it's like going to a really good business school if you're trying to break into business, right?
1: Because there's know. also the, the sketch program. There's the sketch writing yeah. program. I mean, there, it, it covers a lot of ground beyond just being on stage and and
2: being an improviser. I think Besser called it uh, in one of the meetings a comedy college, or maybe it was an interview. And it really has it definitely has that feel with the new space, but. You're there yeah, to study. Yeah, yeah, it's a it campus. it feels like it's a campus, and you're there to study, not just improv. But it's very helpful that that's your main course. Well, that's what writing. I liked about the
1: new facility because when I heard that was being built, it was like because I've been through situations like at a, a you know I worked back in the '80s. I worked at Kiss FM, um, which was huge at the time, but it was in a shitty studio with a bad old RCA round pot board that had. Captain Crunch stickers on it and (laughs) cigarette smoke stains all over it and but the station got really successful built a state-of-the-art studio a few floors below where we were in Hollywood and one of our jocks big Ron O'Brien was his name said oh yeah the ratings are gonna go in the tank the moment we move into a thing there's something about losing the character of a kind of gritty place that feels like everybody kind of slapped it together the intimacy of that. And I was glad to see that the new facility was one of, it wasn't a palace built to celebrate the brand of UCB. No, it's already a shithole. It's already, <laughs> Good we could for do you. so much better.
4: <laughs> Good for you.
1: No, it's beca- it, it, but it is more like a campus. It's a functional, better theater. Yeah. Do you like the new setup? Do you are you okay with it? Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, the, as a teacher, what's great is the teachers' lounge area to be able to because our classes used to be all over the city. Yeah. So there was no place to kind of connect and do in bits. In
1: poorly air-conditioned, uh, like prison camp style. This those are
4: called theaters. Oh, really? Yeah. They're is that theaters. what that was? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. We respect those. <laughs> the lack of AC. <laughs> Uh uh yeah, you're right you're right. I think you learn so much from just the community. Community breeds character, character breeds community. There's something about that. In fact, tomorrow I'm going to sit around the uh inner sanctum and just talk to people.
4: Hmm.
1: <laughs> wow, that's that's exciting.
5: I I mean like I also think there <laughs> I also think there is a reason why the New York space has stayed where it is because there you know, I mean i not that I uh, know the New York scene that well, but it's there is something cool about going down in that basement. You know, it's still literally, literally underground, but it fe- it still feels like edgy, and it feels you know. And the Franklin space, I think, still feels that way.
4: Yeah,
1: right. You know? Yeah, I hope they keep those. I mean, even though in, in New York they've built two new spaces yeah. that d- cater to different things, and then the Sunset one obviously is like almost like a headquarters, like the mothership. I hope they keep those other places too. Oh, they, too. Will. they yeah. will. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
5: Yeah, and the new in sp- the Sunset Space the, the 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 real niceness about it really is like for the school and stuff the 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 stage area and stuff still I mean it's nice and it but it doesn't it doesn't feel like, you know, you're at the opera house or anything
1: no, like that. No. Because you when you were describing the 300 seat theater and just kind of the difference that that makes. I mean, the kind of improv you guys do when you do it at UCB, it needs to be that intimate. It needs to be not mic'd necessarily. Yeah. I mean, it needs to be... That's And it also doesn't translate. I found it always fascinating that really, even though a lot of the videos and the stuff that's shown up on television, really good improv doesn't necessarily translate to TV for some reason. I don't know exactly why, but something about being in that live environment yeah. and and totally understanding that there are no tricks, that there's no... Yeah, anything. it's that
2: empathetic connection you have with the audience that everybody realizes this is being made up right here. Mm-hmm. The moment you film it, I feel you're already once removed. Yeah, you're distanced you know? from it. Yeah. And one of the best compliments you can get after a show is somebody who's not seen it before going, "Come on, that was written," <laughs> you know. And you're spoken, "No, no, it was improv." And then they keep going, and you yeah. leave. You know, <laughs> uh, I think it gets lost, and I don't know. Well, I think the the ASCAT show worked well. Yeah, a, and yeah. I've yeah. done
3: I've done like tour co shows in big spaces where you're mic'd, and it's still a funny show, but it doesn't have that same special quality as being in like a hundred seat theater with the audience because the audience truly is a part of the show, right? And I I, I just listened to this uh, Ian McKellen was on Mark Maron's podcast. Yeah. And I wasn't anticipating this, but at the end of the show, it, like, made me really proud to have been doing improv all this time. Because he talked about, like, I don't even like microphones. I think the voice should hit the ear. <laughs> and he went off on this whole thing. And it was, like, great. Because, you know, it's, like, fucking Gandalf doing this. <laughs> but he really, like, made this, like, really strong point for, like, you, lear- you got to go and see live theater. And there's nothing like it. And every show is different. And... Um, The UCB shows are that to an extreme right. degree.
1: And I think you just hit on part of why you guys keep going back is that where else can you get that kind of feel? Where can you yeah. get that kind of energy?
3: The Smokes is a great example because like we're basically the same group now for six or seven years. And there are people, some people that I've known for way longer than that. So you would think like after a while it's going to get to be the same. But it's like every week it is totally different Because of the different things that we might say or do, but also because the crowd is different. Mm -hmm. And the crowd totally does have an effect on the show and, and what happens in there.
2: And when I first moved out here, you could feel the crowd was different here from New York. And you can slowly hear or feel the crowd. Change over the years here, yeah. almost really? as if we had to change, like uh, they didn't they did, train the audience, yeah. To they they know weren't what used they were to that, yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. I remember doing uh, what was it soundtrack? Well, when I first moved out here, we did a, a one hour show similar to soundtrack in New York. Was first half was just improv, no gimmicks, no uh, you know, uh, anything like that. And they weren't buying it, and, you know. We were fairly new with each other because seriously, it was our p- fault as well, but. We could tell that they weren't buying it because they came to see a show called Soundtrack. And then once we just did the soundtrack, then everybody started to come on board. And I feel the same way with Harold Knight. Slowly but surely, the audience is becoming trained. There are more and more students as well. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, you can feel the audience kind of uh, latching onto us a little bit more each year that we did it. And also, different jokes from New York to LA. Yeah. Uh, in different responses. Here, you hear a lot of, oh, <laughs> and in New York, you hear <laughs> kind of thing. There's little <laughs> tiny differences when something weird goes on. It's true. Yeah.
5: I mean, like in the sense of like two of like, you know, like different, like an edgy feeling that I feel like UCB has. Um, uh, my, my favorite like moment from a show that someone had seen, I was at an audition for uh, something on a di- some Disney show. And before we started, they were like, uh, hey, first of all, we just want to say uh, uh, we, we, love, uh, we love your work at UCB. And I was like, oh, thank you very much. Then we finish, I do the audition, and then they go, so um, tell us, um, what's it like to be on Mushrooms? <laughs> uh, they had happened to see the drug cage match, and I was on <laughs> Team Shrooms, <laughs> and I, and, and, which is the last show I was expected to be recognized by Disney people.
1: Did you book? Did you book the gig? By no, way? I didn't. I wonder why. Disney and mushrooms. But that <laughs>
5: was, but that was a fun, uh, a fun run until someone got hurt and was bleeding all over the place, so they stopped doing the show. But like, what the drug cage match? Yeah. <laughs> Who started bleeding? Johnny Schwartzbein. He was on Team Booze, and he like always, and team, he, booze
4: the, was the team The Team
2: Booze team was always the, the worst team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was on Team Stoner or Team Pot for twat, two years. Uh, And then it's like, I got to fucking grow up and get a life.
5: (laughs) I was seeing shrooms for the first four
4: years. (laughs)
5: And (laughs) and one of the shows, uh, it was me, Drew DeFonzo Marks and David Harris. And David flipped out in the lobby before like he just was not having a good time on the shrooms. Someone had to take him home. It's so true. And I just did a two man (laughs) mushroom show. (laughs)
1: Um, I can't even imagine doing any of that. Not to mention, I'm so old that I was always in bed before that show ever actually <laughs> went on. <laughs> um, Jim, tell me about what you said. You're going to London. What's what's next for you? What else is happening?
5: So um, so my plan is to, uh, f- I f- first I'll go for a week of shows at the Edinburgh French Festival. Um, do a week of shows there. And then from there, go to London and um, and live in a warehouse with like 10 other people. Nice. <laughs> um, I only know one of them um and uh and then i'm going to be there doing shows and teaching classes uh through that theater that my two friends started and then with the plan is that i'm going to come back here in december unless london provides me to stay there longer um you know financially and also like visa stuff right right um and uh and then like while i'm there uh like we've already turned in like one treatment for a a pitch f- to the BBC, and uh, me and w- one of those guys are just you know just start cranking on trying to you know come up with as many you know pitches to send to the BBC as we can, um, and then but really it depends on like how how these months go you know it may be that when I come back in December I'm I'm back to stay or it might be that I jump back and forth. or So I don't know. It's My life is kind of in flux right now. You could
2: say you're improvising through life. Because oh.
5: life is a herald.
1: Wow. wow. Yeah. Cue a,
3: the music. Yeah.
1: Huh? That would have been a great way to go
3: out. Uh, Joe, what about you? You've been working on stuff. You've been doing things. Yeah, my life is fully scripted. I know exactly what's going to happen <laughs> for the next four years. Um, uh, yeah, I am uh, going to start writing on uh, the show New Girl. Uh, In two weeks. Oh, wow. So I'm very excited about that, and that's going to come out uh, in 2016. that's a great room. Yeah, Yeah. I love the show. Big fan of the show. Dave Finkel uh, has been a guest on this very podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I met him in my interview, and he gave me a job. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Drop my name. I will. (laughs) See where that
1: gets you. Uh, And you uh, just came off the Kroll show, right? Yes. Uh, Great. Good stuff. Uh, And (laughs) Billy? I'm uh, making fart noises <laughs> I was just gonna say, uh, wherever I can. If you could have only reverted back to yeah. the wine guy as opposed to
2: the the fart guy. Uh, I'm working on a show, uh, a cartoon network called Steven Universe, and we're working on another show, we're trying to pitch another show uh, through a couple of the writers there. And that whole hookup came through, there used to be fans of The Swarm back in New York, so... Everything comes around. Yeah, it really does. Also, this summer, you know what I did, which I've never done before, is I made a conscious effort to go to improv festivals. I uh, did the Omaha Improv Festival. Wonderful town. Yeah. Uh, Del Close, always. Uh, I'm going to Denver this weekend. It's not really a festival, but I'm performing and teaching there. And then Miami at the end of August. And that's a lot of fun. And it's also just uh, Johnny Appleseeding improv everywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's just, a verb. So... Just- so between you're just, the
3: book and between like Earwolf podcasts, like Improv for Humans and Comedy Bang Bang and stuff, like it's crazy. Like anywhere you go now, they have a pretty like the audiences are good. Improv audiences, yeah. Yeah.
2: they understand the lingo, the terminology, and they kind of they all want to get better. You know, well those not,
3: festivals are just uh,
1: again something relatively new. Yeah. as of as something that's happening on a regular basis, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. That's
2: great. Like the Omaha Improv Festival uh, was started by a theater company by a gay, guy named uh, Dylan Rohde, uh, who took classes oh, yeah. here. Yeah. Never really got on a team, but he really loved it. Went back to his hometown, started a theater, and it just blew up.
5: You know, There's a big one in like Oslo, too, that a, a couple friends of mine have gone and taught there. Um, and they do shows and stuff like that. Oh, let's go to Oslo. Oh, I think they'd be tight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking
2: Oslo,
4: man.
5: And here in town,
1: in Hollywood, uh, you got The Smokes on Monday night, regularly. We got uh, some of you. Uh, are you guys doing ASCAT on a regular basis? Joe, you're part of that, right? Yeah,
3: Saturdays at 8 and Sundays at 7.
1: What other shows are you guys showing up in right now? I know Toledo Rep is popping up once in a while, right? Once a month. Yeah.
2: Uh, I never know the date, but it's uh, at the old place. <laughs> the Swarm and uh, Toledo Rep, once a month. Awesome. Uh, at the new place. Because the bathrooms are great over there. All right.
1: Like that. And for our London listeners, you know, seek out Jim Woods in a random warehouse with a bunch of people. He doesn't. Are you sure that's not some sort of white slavery thing going no, on? Yeah, yeah.
5: Well, that's just where I'm living. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, but uh, and then I, my last show is uh, here's tomorrow with uh, my other team. Last day of school. Um, but there every Thursday at eleven with Convoy. But in in uh, in London it's called the Free Association Theater. All right, sweet.
2: Can I say my monkey fact? I
1: was just going to say, let's wrap things up with monkey facts, then okay. use that as a jumping off board, and then improvise for four minutes. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, uh,
2: uh, the howler monkey. You guys familiar with the howler monkey? Yes. Uh, one of the larger in the primate form, but it can be heard for up to three miles in the forest because it has a tremendous lung capacity. That's why it's called the howler. But it has the brain the size of a pea, uh, whereas the spider monkey, which is a quarter the size of the howler monkey, has a brain size three times that of the howler because it spends all its time searching for the fruit inside seeds and stuff like that, whereas howlers just eat leaves and whatever. So don't be a howler monkey. Be a spider monkey.
5: You know, there's also uh, in China, they have these monkeys that, uh, that like, they're, in, they're actually endangered, and... Um, they're like black and white, and they, they, they eat like a lot of like bamboo and stuff. Pandas? And they, that's it. It's not a monkey. Uh, it's not a monkey, Jim. Uh, it's not a monkey. Not this bad. is a monkey show. My bad. Yeah. If you
2: want to do a bear show, we do a bear show.
1: Guys, thanks for this. This was, this was cool. It was, a, yeah. it was a little inside baseball, it was it's kind of what I was looking for. I, I, I find this really fascinating, uh, if not particularly hilarious. But you guys were awesome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks.
4: Get a monkey.
0: Get a monkey!